Right, are we living with him now? Look, having him around, it keeps our toy happy. With everything that happened with him running the trial, it, I never thought I'd see her smile again. Yeah, I get it. If she's happy, you're happy, and I'm happy, but... What? Well, he's eating them again. What? Well, grapefruit segments. Come on, I took them out of the fridge so they're room temperature. It's doing like they're too chilly, hurt my teeth. And guess where they are now? I don't know. They're in his belly, that's oh, where they are. come on, Nick. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 230 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that thinks after weeks of not putting in a shift, PC Tinker made up for it this week by throwing a party, inviting everyone to join him back at the station. Anything to avoid going home to Faye, am I right? I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I've got some frost on the pumpkin. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, it's winter all of a sudden. <laughs> I, I posted on Facebook that, you know, it's not great. And it's terrible to drive in. You know, Stella and I had a scary moment driving home from guitar lessons on Thursday mm. with it. But I prefer it to 80 degrees in November, which is just a sign of impending doom. <laughs> right. But this is snowmageddon. Eh. That's not really snowmageddon. No. It's cold and there's it's been a bit of snow. But there's it been is a lot of the, snow. I mean, are we mid-November still or are we towards the end of November? We're towards now? the end. I, I mean, it's... The latter... Stelly's kinda. birthday on Monday, and then we have Thanksgiving. Right. So yeah, typically it is kind of like this in a in a no- November. There's usually snow in November. Yeah. Here. Yeah. I posted a photograph of it on Twitter as I was driving to work. I was like, not this shite again. Uh huh. Because it's it's no fun driving to work in the morning. No. And, and it wasn't that bad. Don't get me no, wrong. No, no. That day quite, it wasn't that it, bad. It looked quite pretty, but it wasn't that bad that day. No. Because that was Wednesday. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been fun. But, you know, it could be worse. We could be in Buffalo. I got four feet. Four feet? Yeah. <laughs> what did you do with four feet of snow? Where'd you Absolutely put Absolutely nothing. How'd you get out? You just stay at home and, and hope. That's like above waist height. You can lose s- small dogs and young children. I was going to say. <laughs> it's snow like that. I remember the year when there was maybe a, about... A foot mm-hmm. outside our on our decking on the patio door, mm-hmm. and I got up in the morning, and their dog Dobby, who's a small, no, he's a, medium a small sized. height dog. Yeah, he's not a chihuahua or anything. No, he's a, no, he's a medium sized dog. Yeah, but he's got very short legs. He's a long dog with short legs, and he was obviously desperate to go out for a pee. Yeah. So I slide open the the patio door, and there's this wall of snow that just st- stands and. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? And he looks at it and he looks at me and he looks back at it again. He's like, well, on you go. And he did, to his credit. He ploughed through it. Yeah, he didn't leave the porch, though. Oh, he did. Well, he got down to the bottom for his pee and then ran back in again. Yeah, because last night he peed on the... He he took, like, two steps, (laughs) peed, and then came back in. Lovely stuff. That'll be what I stood in this morning then. (laughs) (laughs) How are you otherwise? Yeah. Good. You know? been a you know besides the whole snow thing 
a fairly uneventful week. Stelly has started bowling <laughs> and also they had the Silver Bells in the City parade. Silver Bells. In it's Christmas time in the city. Of Lansing, Michigan. <laughs> and uh, we did not go because we're awful parents. Oh, don't be feeling very well. <laughs> you have not been feeling well. It was cold. I was still a little spooked from our, our fishtailing, ice skating down Route 99. Hmm. The night before, so I was like, I, I just, I, I can't bring myself to get into a vehicle hmm. when it looks like this at the moment. But apparently it was so, it was fine because it was so cold. Their slides froze in their trombones and they weren't able to play for a good chunk of it. So rather than going, I just went, yeah, they couldn't nice. get it out of first position. Like they were playing it, and then they had to pause, and then when they went back up to start playing again, yeah. their slides weren't moving. It was super they cold had, last night. They had hand warmers zip tied to their trombones. You know, they they were like constantly blowing into their valves to try to keep them warm so that they wouldn't stick to their lips. <sighs> you know what metal is like. Can we just maybe just call the thing off? <laughs> I mean, how bad does it need to get? I mean, it's, it's... Until someone dies? <laughs> these, these poor kids, you know, last weekend, we were all in shorts. And this weekend, their instruments are freezing. Freezing to their faces. <laughs> like, why couldn't we have had this parade last weekend? Oh, well. Oh, well. It's Christmas time in the city. Ring-a-ling. <laughs> Ring-a-ling. Hear them ring, dingling. Soon it will be Christmas time. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that dingling coding news. Not much in the way of coding news this week, I don't mm, think. Mm. <clears throat> Worlds collide as our Millie joins Doctor Who. Woohoo! After the murdering and the kidnapping and the homelessness and the drug abuse, I'm sure she'll be able to handle the Daleks and the Cybermen. This is amazing news. Congrats to our girl who I always knew was made for bigger and better things. I feel like such a proud auntie, a proud American auntie to our Millie Gibson this morning. Singing her praises all over Twitter for people who are like, who? I'm like, oh, she's amazing. You're going to love her. Doctor Who's bigger than Coronation Street? Would you believe? <laughs> I, find it, I find it hard to believe. <laughs> just, maybe, a wee, just a wee bit. Maybe we in do one our half part, of this house. Although we do our part to spread the joy of Coronation Street to the Western Hemisphere. So there are pockets of interest for Coronation Street, as we know, mm-hmm. with our, lots of our... Canadian friends and Canadian listeners, and right? Some and some people American about friends. The um, California, there are plenty of Cory fans out there, right. round about the Canadian border, especially on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. But it's small pockets, right? Right. It's like the, the, obviously, the main audience for this is still the United Kingdom, and I would Correct. say that United Kingdom is still the main audience for Doctor Who. But this is a eh. global phenomenon. Yeah, she will be. In, in the first season of Doctor Who that will be available on Disney Plus. That's huge. 
so she is going to be seen. She's going to be gone from scene by a few million people on a Wednesday night, right, in the UK to tens of millions of people across the world. Billions of people. <laughs> Seventeen billion people <laughs> in the known universe. <laughs> What a jump that is. Yeah. And good for her. I wonder if she knew about this before she left. I mean... I think this is why she left and why it it seemed kind of... Because it did kind of seem a bit abrupt when she left. Like like they weren't planning on her leaving and then they had to write in her leaving. Well, they would know when her contract was due to be renewed, right? Yeah. So they would have a date. Yeah. So maybe that was something that she... Or, or her agent was able to mm-hmm. tout about, but getting the Doctor Who gig. Yeah. I mean, this turns people into superstars, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look at Karen Karen Gillian, who, who went from Doctor Who being Amy Pond to now being part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as, as Nebula and also starred in... The new, um, what's that? What's that board game? What What are those board game movies with the jungle? Oh, God. The board games with the jungle. Robin Williams is in the first one. Jumanji. Yes. She was also in the new Jumanji movies. <laughs> so, you know, pretty huge. Uh, Jenna Coleman, who started on EastEnders yeah. and then went to Doctor Who, is now, she was just in, um... In the new Sandman series on, on the on the Netflix. So I think she's been and, a few also movies played, as well. and also played Queen Victoria for a spell and and has done other things. So yeah, this is this is big. This is big freaking news. Mm-hmm. Good for her. It's amazing. Yeah. So you know we'll we'll see how it goes. Ugh, there are already people comparing her to Billy Piper and saying, oh, you know. Because her character is named Ruby Sunday. Right. And people are like, oh, Rose and then Ruby, and they're both blonde with blue eyes. Is this going to be another romance thing? And it's like, if you honestly think that, then the only then Doctor Who is the only thing you've ever seen Russell T. Davies make. Mm. Because do you honestly think that he would make Shuti Gatwa the next Doctor and... And, and make him straight and put him immediately in a straight heterosexual relationship. Well, let's hope this doesn't come back to bite you in the arse then. Yeah. I, I, I seriously doubt he's going to do that. And also, not all blonde women look alike. That's just true. She does not look like Billy Piper. They just both have blonde hair and blue eyes. But yeah, I'm just I'm thrilled to bits. And it's hilarious because last night you texted me asking me if I'd seen, you know... I don't like Doctor Who. Newsflash. <laughs> and I and, love Doctor and, Who. And Newsflash. Even, even I was excited about it. Yeah. I have my children's names written in Gallifreyan on my leg. <laughs> That's how much I love Doctor Who. <laughs> no, shouldn't it be that so much you love your children? Well, it's how much I love both. <laughs> or how much you love tattoos. <laughs> anyway. But anyway, the story I was trying to tell was that you texted me. And I was just kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll get to it, but I want to watch Coronation Street yeah, first were, so that we're ready. You were very snippy at me. I was like, just, I'll get to it. And then I got to it and I was like, oh my God. That's why he was trying to tell me. Worlds collide. Mm. So exciting. <laughs> anyway, other stuff happened this week. Yeah. For example. Lower ranked Corey News. For example. 
I don't really want to say that because Mazel Tov to Julia Goulding, who will no longer have to hide behind counters and bulky sweaters. Oh, phew. Little Emmeline Beanie Silver joined Big Brother Franklin Wolf Silver on Saturday. Mom and baby are doing well and are already home from the hospital. Wow. Isn't it weird because she's still on the show and she's still, right. she's still doing that hiding behind counters, counters and, things, and stuff yes. and carrying pillows everywhere. Right. So it's, it's funny to think that she's gone. <laughs> or sitting down behind tables. She's gone beyond that and actually had her child. Right. Yeah. Congratulations to Julia. Absolutely. And finally... Exciting news as shameless actor and my personal pick to take up the Wolverine mantle from Hugh Jackman, speaking of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Several minutes ago. <laughs> Karen Griffiths will be joining the cast in December in a in a Jacob and Amy storyline. Ooh. And also just a brief brief mention of the fact that another another Corey actor has switched heads. And um we haven't seen them in quite some time, but um, Jack P. Shepard announced this past week that David the dog has been recast as a different David the dog. Do you know, I don't, I don't want to say nothing, but oh, thank goodness, because that last David the dog just was a terrible actor. I don't understand. They, they, they give these people pets and we never see them. We haven't even seen, well, we haven't seen Evelyn. So we haven't even seen Cerberus for a while. We mm. haven't seen Rover. We haven't seen David. We haven't even seen. Um, yeah, who, what's the other one that we haven't seen, Helen? Um, it's not cupcake. No, it's not cupcake. But it's something like that. It's peanut. Peanut. Yes. <laughs> I knew it was a food item. So bring back the dogs of Coronation Street. We they should get their own spinoff. They should get their own spinoff. Wow, that's we're a like, good idea. Actually, we're like you know. Their odors are the ones who who do like the voices of the dogs. No, <laughs> no. Uh, incidentally, Sue Cleaver is still in the jungle. Yes, she is. Uh, she made it through the first uh, elimination. Yeah. Well, we didn't expect her to be the first person eliminated, did we? Because uh, no, there are lots of other unpopular people on that show. I didn't expect her to be. The way that the show made it out was, and she was in the bottom too. And Which is weird. She wasn't the one to go, and I was quite surprised by that, for reasons that you have mentioned, yes. and also because I thought she was actually coming across fantastically well. Yeah. In it, but I haven't rewatched really a huge amount of it because yeah. of reasons that you've already mentioned. But yeah. the bits that I have seen, I thought she was, I thought she yeah. was pretty good in it. But oh, the poor woman who who was eliminated, though there seems to be quite an awful lot of vitriol on on the Twitter. I, the uh, I'm a celebrity. Twitter feed had to turn off comments because of some of the atrocious things people were saying about Charlene. She dared to condemn Matt Hancock for, you know, murdering people by keeping all the PPE to himself. Well, you can't please everyone because there was people who were saying that she didn't do enough and she didn't say enough. Right. And she's like, I'm trying to be a journalist. I'm trying to be impartial here because she can't basically call him a... A tit. Or whatever. Right? Or a murderer. Mm -hmm. We, we, we don't have that problem. <laughs> but anyway, that's Corey News. That is. With a little bit of extra dog-related and I'm a celebrity-related news sprinkled in. Now we'll podcast for coffee.
We're drinking our own coffees this week. What? I'm drinking my own coffee out of my Mr. Osborne as a fanny mug. Yeah, which you Don't didn't you complain didn't, about the font. The font you, is fine. It's not. It looks like Rocky Horror Picture Show. It looks like blood. Maybe it is. Maybe it's meant to look like that. Anyway. It, you said it was meant to look like spray paint dripping down. It's still down. like paint dripping in. It, it does. It's no, it looks drips like... It. Yeah, drips. dripping blood. Why is that a bad thing? Paint can be red. I think my point is that perhaps you should consult me on these things every once in a while. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Anyway. And you... also, I am drinking out of my meh mug. How appropriate. How appropriate. If you think this Meh. podcast is worth any more than the time it requires to listen to it, you can buy us next week's coffees by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Five bucks gets us a couple of gas station Joes. If you want to throw a little bit more at us, we can upgrade to a Big B's latte. Ooh, what kind of Big B's latte do you like? Just latte. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> I prefer the golden latte with oat milk. Hot. 20 ounce. No whip. It's ridiculous when <laughs> Any I, more instructions? It's ridiculous when I go there. They're like, you, you know, you specify oat milk and they're like, would you like whipped cream? Mm. It's like when I order the vegan bragel and they ask if I want cream cheese on it. It's like asking for a Big Mac and a Diet Coke. <laughs> and now, this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about my very own pants. Your very own pants. Now, pants in the UK mean something different than in the US. So this has to do something with the knicker factory, yes? That's right. This was Fizz giving Phil with two L's a drawer in her wardrobe for him to keep his pants in. Oh. My very own pants, well, says Fizz- Phil with two L's. This does work in the factory, so no, that's, that's tangential. Uh, yeah, it has nothing to do with it. I was Gavin, and you were a bit stuffy again. This was episode five thousand and six <laughs> of our ongoing health report. <laughs> this week, you're the one who's stuffy. Yeah, preparations are underway for Thanksgiving. So we still need to do that. Mm. You were ashamed of your frozen pies. This year, Stelly and I prepared pie filling like a few weeks ago yeah. and put it in the freezer. But at least. It was pie filling from apples we picked off of trees ourselves. There you go. That's the excuse that we'll be using. We were getting ready for Ghostbusters and I was a little nervous about it. Yeah. I was right to be nervous about it, yeah. A combination of bad luck and bad decisions sends Kelly out the frying pan that is prison and into the fire of Weatherfield Streets. Fizz insists that she's not jelly of Tyrone in his upcoming date with Isla. Remember Isla? Vaguely. Maintaining that all of Hope's future friendships hang in the balance. Yeah, this is this was Hope's friend's mum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The day of Johnny's funeral has arrived, and with it comes a revelation that his will makes no mention of Kate, which is fine because she couldn't be bothered to turn up, or Michelle, which is also fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that cracked me up. The wheels of justice in Weatherfield, which can grind as slowly as evolution when they need to get a kick up the backside when Tim remembers that Faye is still in prison and is still sort of innocent. Roy continues to worry that his actions during Horonation Street may have indirectly led to Natasha's death. And Summer continues to help Max with his studies, and he reveals that he's been working on a film that he's keen to show her. But not like that. Leanne urges patience. Jenny ain't saying Daisy is a gold digger. And 
and fizzy spare pants drawer is squeaky. Our moment of the week was Debbie getting one over on Ray Weinstein, and our boring moment of the week was Roy and George talking about the end of the world. And that was Coronation Street. And the talk of the street, this time, last year. George? The Undertaker. Oh, that's right. That's his real name. Yeah. <laughs> I keep forgetting that. Helen watches Coronation Street. <laughs> or does she? <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning. Oh God, no, most of it was the last story that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount to talk about there. So right. everything else is just very much and also, periphery. And also, that has fingers in all of the other storylines this bit. week. Not this one, though, which is Bernie at the double. Oh, yes. On Monday, at Dev's, there's been no word from Fern, and Bernie decides to turn up the heat and stage a celebration party at the bistro that they can post on social media because the idea was that Howie is going to pretend that he's won the lottery. Right, yes. And Now, I didn't trust Howie at the end of last week. I thought he was still in cahoots with Fern. Right. In fact, I think I I can be quoted as saying he 100% is in cahoots with Fern. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's see how that works out. So that's what they do. They go to the bistro and they have a party with hats and streamers and noisemakers and stuff. Mm -hmm. Howie and Gemma and Paul and Dave and Chesney. Chesney's a bit of a buzzkill. Well, what else is new? Have He's the entire week or the episodes that he's in. He's the old man from up. He's just sucking on lemons the whole time. So they have a fantastic fake lottery win party while Bernie takes photos for the socials. All this confuses the fuck out of Nick, who is still, still sporting a black eye. Yeah, it's a bit faded now. Mm. Later, there has been no word and Bernie's ready to give up. Tomorrow she's off to prison for her 10th stretch. But then Howie bursts in. Fern has bitten the bait and asked to meet at Freshco's car park later. Okay. Sure. And he arranges to meet with Bernie there later with Dev because there's something that he needs to do. What is it that you need to do, Howie? I don't think we'll ever find out. No. So later, Bernie's at the bus stop on her own when a van pulls up and a beefy man gets out, throws a sack over Bernie's head and bundles her in at the back before speeding off. All this is done in broad daylight outside a kebab shop. Hilarious. It was pretty funny, though. The van takes Bernie to a bit of waste ground and he takes the, the man takes the sack off Bernie's head and wouldn't you believe it? The two of them know each other. Of course they do. This is Dan, an old acquaintance of Bernie, who abducted Dan her. Dan the man. Thinking that she was Fern right. standing at the bus stop or something. So he was just like driving by, saw her, thought, oh, that's Fern. Coincidentally, I want to kidnap her. So I, I, I think he was of the impression that she would be in the area. He asks how Bernie and the kids are doing. Oh, you know, can't complain. Meanwhile, Fern is at the Fresh Coast car park meeting up with Howie. She says she's missed him and wants to give it another go. She said that she'd been off swimming in Lake Me. <laughs> Bob from Blackadder's just brilliant. You think she's just after his money and she plays dumb. As Howie explains about his 18 million win, he totally bottles it and comes clean asking Fern for her assistance. All the while, Dev is hiding behind a car, trying to take a photo, but has picked a bad day to submerge his hands in grease. Right, yes. His phone his phone falls behind the car, and he has a heck of a time trying to, get, trying to get it. It reminds me of last Sunday when I lost my phone in a, in a, in a theater chair at the cinema after seeing Wakanda Forever, and having to call you to 
to beat my phone. And even that only barely helped because it was buried so much. I think I helped, helped a great deal. <laughs> you did. We wouldn't have never found it if it weren't for you. You brought popcorn home, home for me. That was lovely. It was. That was a wonderful treat. Yes. With real butter. Oh, I could tell my hands were like devs <laughs> by the end of it. It was, it was, it was very lovely, though. Yeah. <clears throat> we get free popcorn until April. Well, you've paid for it up front. Right, yeah, but <laughs> we've it's already it's already paid for itself. Yeah, you get three of them and you're and you're golden. Right. Anyway. So Dan and Bernie continue to catch up. It seems Dan has been ripped off by Fern too, but when they get to Fresh goes, Fern has gone. Howie explaining that she sussed out that it was a trap and ran off and there's nothing that he could do to stop it. Oh pig's tits, says Bernie. Sure again that she is now jailbound. On Wednesday, it's the day of Bernie's court appearance. Bernie pretends that she isn't worried. Dev tells her that their meeting with Dee Dee should help them understand what's what. Mm -hmm. But in that meeting, that happens in Nina's roles, of course. It's basically Dee Dee telling Bernie that her doppelganger excuse sounds like a pile of old shite and it'd be much easier if she just pled guilty. Back home, Howie drops in to wish Bernie the best and to apologise for what happened yesterday. He can't believe this is causing such a bother when it was a victimless crime and it was only 70 grand's worth of jewels after all. And this detail gets our Gemma and her curiosity aroused. Yes, yes, Gemma is the brains of this operation. <laughs> right. I think Gemma can be an attention to detail sort of person. She is. She is, absolutely. And she follows Howie back to his car, wondering how he knew it was 70 grand. Only the cops and the thief know that, surely. Howie pleads ignorance just as he gets a call from Fern, which mm -hmm. lights up his phone and everyone sees that it's Fern calling. Right. He tries to say that it's a different Fern. Right. <laughs> he has to admit that he wasn't in on it from the start, but he is helping Fern sell the stolen gear. So Gemma calls on Dan to come along and he asks which part of Howie she wants broken off first. And this is all it takes because Howie is a terrible coward and he agrees to help set another trap. Mm, yes, he's not exactly winning any points for Scottish men, is he? No, and I think now we can safely say that Howie is not my doppelganger. <laughs> Maybe. He has fewer tattoos than you do. Back at fresh, so so we think his torso may be. Can you imagine him getting a tattoo? I can't. Howie? Yeah, he doesn't seem the type. Back at Freshco's car park, I think Howie calls Fern and tells her that he has a new buyer for the stolen goods and gets her to come meet them and to bring the stuff. So Fern arrives with a bag of jewels. Howie gives a signal, and after a fashion that's kind of dragged out because it was time to fill, I guess Fern's car is blocked off by Dan's van, Dev's car, and PC Tinker's there in his little toy car as well, who yes. I assume was just passing, just happened <laughs> to be in the area. And Fern is lifted to well Dev, who dated Fern back when she was Deb's, Natalie Horrocks's sister, briefly dated Dev 20 years ago, played by the same actress. So the little bit of meta fun there was Dev not recognising her and saying... She doesn't look anything like you, right. Bernie. Yeah, that was funny. So with everything taken care of and the court appearance for later that day being adjourned, they all go back home where Bernie is, is particularly grateful to Dev who never stopped believing in her. And as a reward, Don't stop she, believing. she snogs the face of him right in front of everybody. Woohoo! 
And then on Friday, Gemma is still apologetic to Bernie for not believing her at first and makes a pitch for her to move back in so Why? she can get help looking after her million kids. She can get that help without her having to live there. That's she true. doesn't have to live there to help you with the kids. Paul helps with the kids and he doesn't live there. Why would you want to shove another person back into that house? <laughs> He's, she's got all the room in the world and a nice warm dev to sleep next to. Why on earth would she ever move back to Chesney's house? That's right. In comparison, Dev's house is sitting empty. It's a mansion. It's sitting empty. At Dev's, Bernie's packing, explaining how the heat from her body, particularly her pits, privates and back, is enough to effectively iron her clothes. This is wonderful news to Addy. Meanwhile, Bernie is trying to steal Asha's clothes as well. Dev comes in and is obviously saddened to see Bernie go. Yes. Later in the shop, Addy explains that not everyone is happy to see Bernie leave, telling her that Dev is gutted. Bernie plays this down, but Addy insists that his dad is heartbroken. Aww. And this seems to boost Bernie's ego somewhat. Yes. So back at Dev's, Bernie has served up her speciality. It's five cremated fish fingers <laughs> arranged in a Jenga tower with five different sauces. Did you see which sauces there were? Well, there was ketchup. There was a ketchup, yep. There was brown sauce. I think I it was a barbecue. It looked a little too light to be a brown sauce. There were, Do you have barbecue sauce in the UK? <laughs> well, you people can't say guacamole, so... We you can. Know. <laughs> well, you can. Um, there was tartar sauce. There was tartar sauce, yep. Uh, what else was there? It's two more. Was there a curry sauce? I don't think so. Was there wasabi? No, definitely not. We don't have wasabi in the UK. You do have we wasabi. We do. There was a sriracha mayo and I think there was a mustard. Yeah, I do love a sriracha mayo. The, the sriracha mayo looked, uh, looked like I my favourite there as well. I love sriracha mayo. I just love sriracha. Asha breaks a tooth on one of the fish fingers, but Addy's quite enjoying them. Yes. It's a little zing that's getting the taste buds invigorated. Right. Dev and Bernie are about to get their hole, so the kids rush off for pizza. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes, yes. So this uh, was a good fun story that we've was. had for a couple of weeks. People complaining about this running alongside the main story. Right. Saying that it makes the important story look less important by having this run alongside it. And oh, I, would, I don't I think would so. argue against that until the cows come home because yeah. we needed this Yeah, you needed, this week. Yes, absolutely. Especially this week, I think. We, needed, we really needed some lightness peppered in. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's always happened. Like with Kelly's horrible storylines, there was always, you know, a side story that was of little consequence but was funny and, and peppered in there's and a b need... story or a c story that is there in support right. of everything that's just there just to put a smile on people's faces right. more than anything else addy was delightful as always oh god and, wasn't he though and you know i'm it, he looks adorable with the with a little bit of uh fuzz on his face now yeah very cute it reminds me of, of benny and his wee little mustache yeah you have no idea. I sat in a car with him driving to the Secretary of State and back, uh -huh. and it took all my willpower not to say something about it and ask him if he needs help shaving. Because he loves his wee little mustache. <sighs> yeah. Just because you have this glorious 
mighty mustache and beard combination on your face. I don't really. It's kind of patchy. It's glorious. But that little pencil thing that it's got going. <laughs> I mean, I think a, a wet bit of tissue would take it off. But Be nice. Good for him. Yes. Not everybody can do it. No. No, they can't. Yeah. For me, the uh, Movember with my old teammates uh-huh. in the UK, it was quite funny seeing... People attempt to grow a moustache. What, what people had at the end of the 30 days right. di- didn't look much different to what other people had <laughs> after three or four. <laughs> Steve, down the street. Steve can't cr- Steve grow a moustache to save himself. No. Oh, did he? No, he eventually. It did. Eventually, it, eventually it yeah. It took hold after a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, and it reminded everyone that he once upon a time he was a redhead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed this. I think the the payoff was maybe... And I say maybe, definitely a bit on the convenient side. Mm. I'm not sure what the Dan bit was in it. How Dan got involved in all that is, I think, not at all described adequately. He was just turning the corner. He didn't seem to be lying in wait for anybody. So I don't know. I don't don't know. know. It kind of seemed like like he had been... In the van watching her for a while before he pulled See, over. See, that didn't seem like that at all to me. It seemed like that to me. Because he came around the corner. He wasn't watching her or anything. Right, no, but he was watching from around <clears throat> the corner. <laughs> Through the brick. Like, hidden. Mm. Like, to the side. Yeah, that would dispute and the that. way And the way that he pulled up seemed quite professional. Well, he was definitely out to kidnap somebody. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Maybe and Fern owed him money. And that's believable that she would owe, definitely. you know... Some. And there's question marks again as to how PC Tinker got tipped off for this because as far as they're concerned, this is now at court. So they're saying that Bernie's doppelganger is real and is in a car park somewhere. Send the police. So they send Tinker. Well, maybe that makes well, sense. Well, it was, yeah, and it was more than just Tinker. There were a couple of cop cars there. And if they called... Tinker the, got the collar. And if they called... Yeah, Tinker was very busy this week. It was. After, after being, you know non-existent for for a while so we'll see we will good fun and dev and bernie bernie seeming stronger than, than stronger ever, than ever which yeah is good stuff. which is nice and addy seems to approve asha yeah, less so well who cares what asha says? <laughs> next storyline this morning is the book estate just a few scenes from monday in this one <laughs> it's a new week and tyrone and fizz are oddly far more lackadaisical about the state book than they were last week and Tyrone's role in putting it to number seven single-handedly in the non-fiction charts by buying every copy of it. Right, from one store. He bought every copy from one store. That shouldn't... Maybe 20 copies, maybe. Maybe that much. Maybe that much. It seemed like there were more than 20 copies in that shed. Do you think one small bookstore is going to have 20 copies of one book just kicking about? Yeah, because you get like a whole box. And there's like 40 books in there. Mm. Meanwhile, Hope is at school making a pitch for a book signing opportunity outside the girls' lose at lunchtime. The name's Stape. <laughs> Hope, Hope Stape. Hope Stape. Licensed to kill. <laughs> right. With a hammer. <laughs> With a toffee hammer. He's <laughs> just... And the, kid, the girls are looking and going... What the hell is she talking about? But it seems to work because she's... Coming home with some cash, isn't she? Right, yeah. But I don't think from those two girls, because no. when she walked off, those girls are laughing at her. Yeah, she says, be there or... Die. Be, or be murder. 
or something like that. <laughs> Be there or die. And then there's Rose later. Hope and Sam are chatting about Hope's death. She shows him an excerpt from the book, which seems to horrify Sam as he describes a murder with a hammer. Hope says that she's always been drawn to tools, and she reckons this is where she gets her violent tendencies towards Ruby from. She's finally understanding herself. Fuck. <sighs> Fuck me, says Sam. Back home, Hope struggles to hide her books when Fizz and Tyrone come in, announcing that they're heading out for dinner to celebrate how well Hope's dealing with the book situation. Cheers, Mama Bear, says Hope, as she oh, kicks yeah. her bag of books under the table. And there's quite a funny little aside when Hope and Ruby are both taking the piss out of Fizz and Tyrone about mm-hmm. how often they eat out. Yeah. Because Ruby's, Ruby's like, we had kebabs last night. Right. <laughs> when was the last time you cooked, Mum? Now, I don't know why it has to be Fizzy's. Right, yeah. What about what about Tyrone? Mm-hmm. It's not Fizzy's responsibility to cook dinner. Every night. She's working as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. People, but that was, quite, that was quite amusing. It's, it's just proof that not everyone is as enlightened as we are. <laughs> Oh, my rainbow farts. <laughs> <laughs> what a shitty rainbow. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, not an awful lot of progress on this, but Hope seems to be more embracing the situation than she was last week. She was terrified well, that this no, was going she to... Was, she, last week is when she started to say, when she told Sam, oh, no, this is great. I'm a celebrity now, and... People love people at school love me. Remember? That started last week. Was it? Yeah. I just seem to remember her being worried that Tyrone had failed in his promise to stop the book. And that was what she was furious about because she was wanting to uh, stay with Chesney after that. That's how bad the situation was. Right. But then she found all those books and the cutout of her, her biological father. Hmm. And then, you know supposedly kids at school were talking about it and everything and and she's she's milking it for all it's worth absolutely it's hilarious and just continues to be a a great wee actor oh hope absolutely yeah Yeah. and and i i still love the relationship she has with sam who's kind of her straight man Mm -hmm. yeah the two of them sitting in the roles like any other man and woman in the show <laughs> right. with her with her drinks and having right. their, their little private conversations. Right. Was it who was it that, that dumped them off? Fizz. Was it Fizz? Yeah. yeah. Asking Nina to watch them. <laughs> right. Well done, Fizz. Because she's left her phone somewhere. At the factory, yeah. yeah She'll be right. gone two minutes. She's going to the pub. That's exactly where she's going. <laughs> no, it was um there wasn't an awful lot more to it. I do I do worry about where this is going for Hope. Right, because she seems to be embracing the idea that because her dad was a serial killer, she's going to be a serial killer. Right. She seems to be embracing that a little too much for my taste. Yeah, and I don't think her personality really has much wriggle room where that's concerned because mm. she does have some violent tendencies right. without this realisation. Right. And this realisation being a little bit more of a trigger for her, perhaps. Yes. This could end in tears and knowing, knowing the show, it will. Right. Oh, well. I get another small one coming up now uh, is the Bailey and Nazir super sleuths storyline. 
Woohoo! Again, just a few scenes all scattered across the week. On Monday, in Nina Rolls, Ali and Didi are chatting about another storyline when Adam comes in and offers Didi a job working with him. Just like that. Yep. And Nina rolls. Yep. She thinks it's a wind-up, but he's deadly serious. Impressed. He's desperate. <laughs> Impressed he's like, with- oh, thank God, another lawyer. Come work for me, please. Impressed with how she got homeless stew off the hook. Yeah. He promises to send her some numbers and she's very keen to get started. Now, he, he, and he positions this carefully that this isn't going to be like your high-flying California Fancy, lawyer. Right. And she's like, no, really. Which I think she appreciates that she's living in Weatherfield. It right, isn't going yes. to be a LA wage. No. At the Rovers, it's champagne all round as Dee has accepted the job offer. Not only that, but she asks Alia to join her in the role of her legal secretary. Yes. Alia is thrilled and excited by the opportunity, but her commitments, she says, are at the restaurant. She promises to have a think about it, though. Mm-hmm. And we don't hear again about this until Friday when uh, Dee Dee is at Speed Dial and is uh, bugged for free legal advice. But what she's really there to do is to make sure that Alia is considering her offer. Yasmin's interest is piqued by this and she thinks it's a great opportunity. And she seems determined to fuck Speed Dial over good and proper, just like she did when she told Zidane to go to that London. Right. And she tells Alia to seize the day. Right. Which is exactly what a grandmother should say. Yeah, Alia is a little hesitant because of the whole other storyline stuff right, that's going yes. on. But her presence there, I don't know, she's kind of an agitator in that, really. It's Alia that's confronting these mm-hmm. people, as she should. Don't yeah. get me wrong, she should be doing this. Right. And But it's kind of drawn the attention of them to Speed Dial. Speed Dial now for, for Griff's group as well learn in another storyline that's very much the focus of i think it was even before alia said something because yeah. max had worked been working there you know so mm-hmm. they were aware of it but yeah and i then. don't think it's going to be any more or any better or worse Mm-mm. if alia's there or not right and i think that's yasmin's point seize yeah. the day so later alia meets up with dd in the bistro to give her the good news she accepts the position of legal secretary after all Yes. Belter, says Dee Dee. Yes, I'm quite excited for this. Been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I think Elia will be will be great in in that role. And I think I think there's a good chemistry between Adam and Dee Dee mm-hmm. and Alia. You know, the three of them working together I think is gonna be is gonna be good. It's gonna be great. Because, you know, Adam was very supportive as much as he possibly could be when Alia was working alone trying to get yeah. Stu exonerated and stuff. I- I've seen a couple of people complaining about this online. Online complaints? Surely not. Yeah. Saying, oh, you know, she she's, she's just going to become a solicitor just like that. And these are people who aren't watching the show very carefully because she's a legal secretary, mm-hmm. not a solicitor. Nope, but she is talking about going to an open university course, right. so getting some qualifications for it. Which is fine, which is yeah. great. I mean, I don't have any legal qualifications, and I was almost hired as a legal secretary, and I I was offered the position, mm-hmm. and I turned it down, because yeah. I'm a badass. <laughs> I think it's good, and I think it's good to kind of spread people out a little bit more. Oh, I absolutely agree. Let's get Alia out of the, the restaurant. Yes. We've got Zidane there and we've got... Well, not well, at the moment. When he's there. 
We've got Zidane there. We've got Holmes Stew there. We've got Yasmin there. They have Alia there as well. It's like we're like we did with the Baileys and their house. Right. We're kind of doing the same with the Nazirs and Homeless Stew and Speed Dial. So you're kind of confining these characters to one location right. and one set of stories that happen with people kind of yeah, passing through with it. just their family. Right. To get Alia out of that, yes. I think, is good for her as a character and good for us as viewers that we're getting to see her do mm-hmm. some different things. So yeah, I'm, and I'm I all like, for that. And I like the friendship between Alia and Didi. Yeah. And hopefully when Zidane comes back, he and Didi will hook up. That's what I'm all about, is the hook it up. We There's not enough hooking up on this show. Uh, it's a soap opera and not enough people hook up. We did establish this week that neither one of them, Didi and Alia, that is, are lesbians. Yes, yes. So. They both said it out loud. <laughs> They did. Because apparently it was necessary. Yep. Dee Dee said that she liked the cock. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> there you go. Our next storyline this morning is hardballing Debbie, but not like that. On Monday, at the bistro, Debbie is down in the dumps. She's only had one offer for her rape hotels, and it's below the asking price, and it isn't enough to clear her of her debts. Ronnie has a suggestion for her and tells her to flog her share in the bistro too. She thinks this has legs, and so she speaks to Nick, Mm. explains her financial situation to him, which seems like a really bad move in a negotiation, and offers him and Leanne first refusal. Nick seems interested, but will need a couple of months to get the money together. Debbie gives him a week, and if he can't come up with the cash before then, she'll be forced to look elsewhere. Mm -hmm. On Monday, Anina's rolls. Leanne and Nick are doing their sums. They can't afford what Debbie is asking for, but Nick thinks that they should just offer what they can to test the water. And then Spider and Toya join them, and this seems to make Nick's piss boil. And I'm like, what's the fucking problem here? Yeah. We'll find out later what the problem is. Yes. And they be so Nick and Leanne make their offer. It's 12 grand less than the asking price. Debbie thinks it's an insult and thinks that they're at it, trying to hardball her because they know that she's facing bankruptcy. That's why you don't tell them that you're facing bankruptcy. That's the offer, says Nick. Take it or leave it. So Debbie talks this over with, with Ronnie, who thinks there's another option and has some people who might be able to make a better offer. So mm-hmm. he gets on the phone. On Friday, Sam's checking out on the progress of the restorative justice thing, plus Nick and Leanne are stressed about their bid for the bistro, and Nick still has a black eye. <laughs> I was reckoning that this black eye is going to get its own entry on Corypedia pretty soon. Yes. Ronnie has sourced a broker for Debbie. Was he even... Remember when Peter threw threw a garden gnome at Nick? Yeah, hit him on the back of the head. Yeah. I don't even think that injury lasted this long, did it? Nick had some brain trauma. Right. I think that's been forgotten about now. Right. Well, he mentioned it when Shona had... got shot in the stomach and got brain trauma. Yeah. Never miss an opportunity for that. It's like Rana getting crushed, isn't it? Never miss an opportunity. Never miss. Ronnie has sourced a broker for Debbie to get top price for the bistro. Nick is appalled by this idea, promising Debbie that what he offers is a quick deal without all this faffing about. And he asks for more time, so she gives him a week. So Leanne and Nick sit down and try and do their sums again, realising that this low-balling tactic has just made Debbie angry. Nick refuses to lose this place. There has to be something he can do to get this money. So he tries to hit up Stephen. But Stephen <laughs> is still broken, wearing Imran's old suit, so he can't help. Meanwhile, Debbie is showing the place off to an actor in a non-speaking role pretending to be a broker. 
And while she's waiting on Nick's money tree, she's working on her plan B, it seems. Mm. And the broker has told Debbie that buyers don't typically want to buy half a business, so Debbie tells him to get his act together or sell up too. And Nick runs this by Leanne, who is stressed for other reasons. She gives Nick some cock and bull story about answering his phone by mistake, but in doing so has learned from the restorative justice people that Harvey has agreed to meet Sam after all. Dum, dum, dum. Gulp, says Nick, so lightheartedly that his black eye deepens again. <laughs> and that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. It was kind of funny throwing those two things together. together, the restorative justice thing, which was barely in it. And the, the money stuff. The buying the bistro thing. Oh, they're not going to bring another person in. Well, this is it. Would you buy half a business with no. people that you don't know? No. No, you wouldn't. I'm surprised. Peter would do that. Peter would do that in a flash. Well, I'm not Peter. You may have noticed. No. No. I've never thrown a garden gnome at some the back of someone's head. Yet. <laughs> We'd have to have a garden gnome first. Which is something that I'm always tempted to do, but just never have <laughs> I know yet. you're tempted to do it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, because Ronnie has money. I'm surprised. Oh, well, he tried to offer to help and Debbie turned him down. You'd think Debbie would be like, she seems so desperate now. It's, it's weird, this whole Debbie mishandling money thing. Debbie doesn't want to take money off Kev, because Kev offered to give back some of uh, Aunt Vi's money that she gave him a few years ago now. Yeah, it's been a few years. And he was having nothing to do with that. Right. But Ronnie's different. Ronnie's our partner. Right. Yeah. This, like, would, I think it would be a sensible idea to bring him in, unless she think. really doesn't want to be doing this anymore. Maybe that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I've seen some people say, you know, it would be good to get her out. Of the bistro, because she kind of seems locked in there at this point. She does. We never see her out on the street. <laughs> she used to clop about quite a bit. Yeah. Where we brawly. Yeah. Walking in circles. She yeah. used to do that all the time. Yeah. And insulting Abby. Yeah. Where's Abby? Where is Abby indeed? We haven't seen her in like months. months. She needs a break, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. The character needs a break. Yeah, that's true. I can't believe that those rape hotels aren't making money because yeah, every single function, busy. every single function is happening at a rape hotel. Yeah, plus all the rape. Right, and and every time we have a scene there, there's always lots of people there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's because she has to employ so many people, and it's just, and it's hard to keep people employed, and because nobody wants to work anymore. Where's Nick getting his money from? That's what I'm interested in. And, and Leanne, that they're offering something that's 12 grand short. Now, I don't think that means that Debbie's looking for 13 grand. No. She's looking for a fair chunk of money, and I think they seem to be offering it. But Nick was in such financial difficulties not so long ago that right. he was having to steal from Audrey. Right. And I don't think Leanne's ever had that much well, that's money. Well, that's been a number of years now. Uh, and, you know, as Debbie points out, you know, they're renting they're renting the salon from her as well now Nick sold his share in the factory that's what it was that's right, how he made his money right right right, right. God, anyway. that, that, that stretched quite far then Yee. oh well oh well uh, the <laughs> Sam and Harvey thing then yeah so we were worried, worried that 
you know, there's going to be a little bit of reluctance from Harvey to, to see Sam, but he's obviously, they're going to meet up. They're right. ob- That's obviously going to happen, but yes. what's going to change Harvey's mind? And maybe it is just, this wee shit's just not going to let this go. Right, yeah. And maybe if I can I want scare some him. Peace. Yeah. Maybe if I scare him enough, he'll just stop Leave this. me alone, mm. right. Yeah. Poor Leo. Leo. Single Leo? <laughs> Yay. Yeah. They're never going to find that body. <laughs> Stop it's, talking it's gonna about be it. Like, it's going to be like Rick the Chin all over again. We'll mm-hmm. find him in like two years. Wherever but, Stephen has stashed him. We haven't even seen Stephen in forever. Exactly. He, Leo's body could be anywhere. It really could. <laughs> could be in those fish fingers for all we know. Oh, no. Propped up in the back of Dan the Man's van. Right. Or at the back of the, the freezer in the bistro. If we at least knew where Rick the Chin was. Right. For but, a while, but then there was a while that we didn't know where he was because he got dug up and moved. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the only thing we really know about Leo is that his stuff got burned in a... In a field uh, outside right, a, a petro, oil refinery. chemical plant, as you do. There's no where is there. that? <laughs> nobody nobody works there. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Poor Stephen. No, poor ab- Leo. No, it's poor Stephen cutting about and... Imran's old suit still. That's a shame. That must be absolutely boofing by now. Boofing. Moving on then. Our next storyline is Homeless Stew 2, Electric Booger Homeless Stew. <laughs> on Monday, that was quite difficult to say. Right, it should be a Homeless Stew, Electric Boogaloo and Eliza 2. Yeah. Oh. On Monday, Homeless Stew has said the phrase, well, since I've been exonerated... About a million times. He thinks the paint attack on Speed Dull from another storyline is due to him and thinks that moving out is the best idea because remember, he decided that he was going to move out last week. Yasmin agrees that it won't create a good impression for Eliza or something to have all this. Later, Roy turns up to see how Yasmin's doing. Mm-hmm. Surprised to note that Homeless Stew is nowhere to be seen. Mm-hmm. She explains that he's off to look for a flat in town. Oh, really? says Roy, pretending not to be interested at all. So Homeless Shoe comes back later and asks for a drum roll. But when he actually gets one, he seems to forget why he asked for it in the first place. <laughs> Did you just what, what was that all about? Can yeah. I get a drum roll, please? Yeah, and Yasmin's the only one who does it. Nobody else, everybody else is just standing around looking at him. <laughs> You're going to tell us about the flat, prompts Alia. Oh yeah, the flat. Yeah, that's fine, says Homeless Shoe. And he wanders off. And he goes to the pub where he sees Dee Dee, and Dee Dee's been speaking with Alia about how Homeless Stu and Yasmin totally have the hots for each other still, but refuse to admit it to each other. Homeless Stu thanks Dee Dee again for getting them exonerated, because has he mentioned that already? Homeless Stu totally has the hots for Yasmin, mumbles Dee Dee. And later at Speeddal, Yasmin tells Homeless Stu that she ran into Dee Dee and Alia earlier, conveniently, and they told her that he still has the hots for her. Homeless Stu gets all shy and sheepish and tells her to ignore it, but Yasmin says that she can't. If she doesn't want him to go, and Eliza can get her own room if she if he moves in to hers. <laughs> All that talk about being platonic was a pile of old shite. She wants more than that now. All bad things come to an end, she says weirdly, which isn't romantic at all. But it's enough to make homeless you put a sparkle in those baby blues and they smooch in the restaurant. As they should. Yes. If Yasmin's not going to be a lesbian, put her with a beautiful man. Yes. Two actresses on the street. Two lesbian actresses on the street. And both of them in 
heterosexual relationships. Shelley King and um, Bernie. Oh, Jane Hazelgrove. Yeah, she? yeah. She's talked quite a bit about her wife in interviews. Uh, does that explain why she's with Dave? Well, he is also a fancy pants man. He is quite fancy pants. He was. He was. Continuing with his Jeff Goldblum impersonation this week a bit as well. <laughs> Hang about explaining chaos theory to people. Right. <laughs> That's what <one> does. <laughs> On Wednesday, Jasmine and Homeless Stew are getting ready for the social visit. Homeless Stew changes a duvet cover by climbing into it, apparently, <laughs> and is worried about not having enough uh, cuddly toys in the room. Just as the social worker arrives and says, I hope you haven't put a ton of cuddly, cuddly toys, toys in, in the room. room. Homeless Shoe gives her the grand tour, may get, get a bit too loose-lipped, but the social announces that they've passed the assessment and she's going to recommend that Eliza stays with them. Belter, says Homeless Shoe. Can I hug you? He asks. I'd rather you didn't, says the social worker. <laughs> Eliza can move in today, actually, right now. So later, Eliza's dropped off. All her belongings are stuffed into a clearly empty suitcase. And Yasmin shows her to her room. Eliza seems to be oddly attached to the social worker and gives her a hug, which right. means the social the social worker had a problem with homeless stew. And it's hilarious because a couple of weeks ago when the social worker took her away, she's like, I really have to go with this lady I don't know. Yep. And was quite upset about it. But now she loves her dearly. Right. Later, after the social worker has left, Yasmin, the homeless stew and Eliza are playing Texas Hold'em. Eliza wants to know how her mum is doing and Homeless Shoe says that she's doing fine and agrees to take Eliza to the prison tomorrow to see her. Eliza goes off, which allows Homeless Shoe to look pensive as though maybe Bridget isn't doing okay after all. Well, on Friday, Eliza is in her jammies ahead of visiting the jail. Homeless Shoe interprets this as Eliza not wanting to go, but Eliza's like, hold your horses, Homeless Grandad. I just don't have anything to wear. She insists that she doesn't want to be late and so she heads upstairs. Trust me to make a mess of this, says Homeless Stew. And Yasmin promises to help Homeless Stew actually listen to what people are saying to him from <laughs> now on. So later, Homeless Stew and Eliza are back from the prison visit. Eliza seems quite downhearted about the whole thing and goes off to her room. Homeless Stew blames himself for saying the wrong things rather than consider for a moment <sighs> that Eliza has lost her mum, her gran and her house in four weeks. So maybe that's why she's a bit off. Yasmin insists that Homeless Stew is one in a million and she doesn't mean the unfortunate Guns N' Roses song. And that's as far as we get with that this week. <laughs> Homeless Stew is such a Debbie Downer about himself. He's got that glorious mane of hair. You'd think that he would have and a bit those, of self-esteem. those baby blues as right, well. Right, and those perfect teeth. They are worth something. Yes. I don't like this Homeless Stew. I don't like this version of him where he is such a try-hard Right, yeah. And so down on himself. I mean, he's always kind of been down on himself, but he's just been exonerated. As I think he mentioned. You know, you'd think that that would give him a bit of a boost, you know? And I just I just really hope that Yasmin is going to give her, give her, give him a little bit of extra confidence. Maybe, you know, getting some regular sexual attention will mm-hmm. will be helpful. As 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 it as it is what to do in these sorts of situations. He's quick to blame himself for the paint attack. Well, yeah. In fairness, Yasmin was thinking that it was due to that as well. He doesn't. I don't know why he doesn't listen to Eliza say that. I just don't know what to wear. Oh, she doesn't want to go and see her. What? She didn't say anything like that. Yeah. And then coming back when he says, 
you had fun today visiting your mum and she says I'm going to just go to my room then mm-hmm. but think it like I'm saying in the notes the trauma that that wee lassie has been through is a lot she can't ex- no one should be expecting Eliza to be the same wee lassie that Holmes Stew was introduced, introduced to, to yeah who was all about how much she loved her granddad and how much Homeless Jew was her favourite granddad and all that. Right. Ignoring everything that has happened to her since that happened, pretty right. much. I mean... The- losing... Lo- yeah. Yeah. Abruptly losing her mother and her grandmother. Finding out her mother murdered someone mm-hmm. and then blamed her granddad. And then losing her house, as, as you aptly pointed out. And then being shoved into care... With people she doesn't know for a couple of weeks. And now being tossed back to her granddad, which hopefully will give her some stability. But it's going to take a few weeks. And I'm worried that her view of Homeless Jew now has been kind of tainted by all the action that has went on since since they met. Right. It's going to be hard to look at, at him despite those wonderful baby blues and not not trigger the the thought of the the trauma and right and the arrests and the care and all that sort of stuff and homeless shoes just been really weird by well by, let's, by not by not accepting this or by not recognizing it well let's 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 take into account shall we that homeless do has very little experience in taking care of children this is true because when he had his own kid he was off shagging somebody else right yeah, and that it's still very brand new of him to think of himself as exonerated. It's still a bit brand new of him to have some stability of his own as far as housing and being in a relationship and stuff is concerned. So, and and finding out that his daughter and his ex-wife, people that he trusted and loved... Presumably wanted you know were the ones behind him getting blamed for this whole murder thing threw him under the bus as it were when you know all this time he expected it to be this police officer who was the biggest of red herrings yeah had me filled so you know neither one of them are in very healthy places emotionally and mentally at the moment can you see eliza teaming up with hope to go on a murderous rampage no oh no i'm hoping ruby has finally gotten a friend yeah that'd be nice yeah nobody hangs out with ruby (laughs) except peter that time (laughs) or lily you know who doesn't even get invited to come in for (laughs) family family pictures I was like John Oliver in his piece about the monarchy last week when he was showing a map of the world that didn't feature New Zealand. Come on, <laughs> invite New Zealand. Invite Lily into the into the photographs, for goodness sake. Ah, uh, anyway. Anyway, moving on now to the, the main, the very much the main storyline of the week. So grab yourself some, some cocoa, put on a pair of warm slippers as we dive into Mad Max Racist Road. On Monday, Alia, Yasmin and Homeless Stew survey the damage to the front door of the restaurant, which is now covered in blood red paint, much like my uh, Mr. Osborne is a fanny mug. Your Rocky Horror Picture Show, Coronation Street. 
Homeless Jew thinks it's about him and his non-murderous ways. Alia, though, suspects Max, but Yasmin is reluctant to jump on that bandwagon without proof. Later, Darren is minding his own business walking down the street when Max wants to know the fuck are you looking at, calling Max a lech. And Darren has been taught that when you're asked, what are you looking at, you say, don't know, the label's fallen off. <laughs> but Max calls him a lech and an oxygen thief. You heard yourself recently, pal, says Darian, who could flatten Max in a flash if he so desired. Max barges by him, all big and hard, now that he hates immigrants. And then rolls, yeah, that was a weird, it was a really weird interaction. It sets Max's mindset at the start of the week to be something that I don't think it is later on in the week, which is kind of weird. Yeah. In Nina's rolls, the chat is about the paint on Speeddal's door. Toya worries that it's racist. Spider thinks it's racist to assume it's racist. And I think it's racist to assume that it's racist is racist. <laughs> Toy doesn't look impressed by this opinion and fucks off, and she's immediately replaced. Thank you. By Griff, who quietly congratulates Spider for his paint job. We should call you the decorator, says Griff, who's brilliant at thinking up nicknames. Ugh. At Speedal, Homeless Stew is still blaming himself. Arya again mentions Max and his gruesome girlfriend. Homeless Stew thinks that if they have dodgy views, then the police should be called. Because it's illegal to have dodgy views. None of them have done anything wrong. And this boils Alia's piss and she goes off to take care of it. And she storms out to see Max in Griff's van. She stomps over to give him a piece of her mind, accusing him of the paint attack. And Griff intervenes telling her that if she can speak English, she should fuck off and stop harassing a young boy, which she calls creepy. Creepy, though, is having a young boy and a young girl in your van, Griff. Yes. Griff tells her... Neither of whom are related to you. Right. Griff tells her and her migrant mate to fuck off. Meanwhile, Toya drops into Speeddal to see if they need help clearing up. And at this, Arya storms back and explains what just happened. Toya mentions that Griff is as racist as they come. And Peter had a word with David about this the other week after the gig. And the spoken word tonight, remember the open mic? Right, yes. And Arya briefly reminds everyone that Toya murdered Imran and got away with it. Yes. But then they seem to go over it. Right, yeah. But then Yasmin says, I think we should just live and li- live because she she came to help us with this racism. Yeah, and she's uh, been found not guilty and everything. Right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well done, Alia. So Alia goes off to the rovers where she sees David and Shona and she accuses David of ignoring Peter who warned him about racist Griff. But unbeknownst to Alia, Griff and his racist buddies are standing behind her. Griff thinks that he's been very clever calling Alia it and saying that her voice is white noise. Toya drags Alia away from what was a horrible, horrible confrontation and after it's died down, Shona whispers to David that he has to speak to Max. And that also serves as a kind of reminder that David just sat there and said nothing as this was going on. Right, yeah, which was... (sighs) I mean, Glenda did more to support Alia and Toya standing there than David did, you know, which I'm, I'm, I'm not one for, you know, gender roles and all of that nonsense, but to be the, the only man in the room on the side of righteousness, one Mm. would assume, Mm. and to sit your ass down while all of the women in the room confront these guys is kind of infuriating. It, it seemed that David's main problem isn't Griff 
or his views, but Max's involvement in it. Right. I can I can allow one thing to be going on so long as it doesn't really affect me. Seems to be that position. Right. Although that changes and later that, on. Again, again, something is supposedly established early in the week, which then changes as the week goes on. Maybe right. maybe that's deliberate, but I found it a little confusing. Well, yeah, and I think other things that happen within the storyline are are triggers for saying, "Well, wait a second, I I actually do need to step up here for more than just Max's sake." Right. So later, a behooded Griff and Spider meet in the alleyway of doom, and uh, Griff tells him that the point, the paint job wasn't enough, and they need to turn up the heat on Alia and what? the others from the restaurant. It seems their lot just won't take a telling. Spider smells, smiles. Spider smiles woefully as he pretends to play along. Back at Spidal, Yasmin is furious at Alia for causing a scene. Alia's still furious uh, and she calls Spider... Oh, let me start that again. Hmm. Back at Spidal, Yasmin is furious at Alia for causing a scene. Alia herself is still furious and she accuses Spider of being in cahoots with Griff and his gang. But Toya says, no, no, no way. Not my Spider. Nuh-uh. Spider's a funny name, says Yasmin. <laughs> Later at home, Spider gets back to get both barrels from Toya about Griff. She's blaming him from the paint job, but Spider is non-committal and pretends that he needs to head off to see a mate about a job. At number eight, meanwhile, David can't get a hold of Max and has to leave a voicemail, wishing that he'd listen to Peter rather than taking the piss out of him about chemtrails and stuff. He suspects Griff has been using racist Kelly as something of a honey trap for Max as well. And that is true. Yeah. But David, Max is Gen Z. Just text him. Yeah. These children do not use the telephone. They do not answer their calls. At Racist HQ, Max is hanging out with Racist Kelly. Why are they there on their own? Because isn't, isn't it her dad's place? Doesn't she, doesn't she live there? Or is it Griff's it's place? It's Griff's place, I think, isn't it? Anyway. Who knows? The adults come back and Max shows them the flyers that is made for the meeting in the community centre tomorrow. Right, and- which doesn't... Which are very, very carefully worded, yes. as we will discover. During a quiet moment, Spider contemplates Max. During a quiet moment, Spider compliments Max and his flyers, but wonders why he doesn't put his talents to more interesting uses away from Griff. Max very much feels like he's in Griff's debt at this point. Spider says we have to find our own tribe sometimes, and maybe this isn't his. And Max looks kind of suspicious about all this. And later, Griff and Racist Kelly's dad are having a side conversation. Max has told Griff about his conversation with Spider, sounding like he was warning Max off. And so now Griff is very wary, and he tells Racist Kelly's dad to keep an eye on him. Max and Racist Kelly, meanwhile, drop into Nina's rolls to dish out some flyers that he says are about a talk on the environment and saving the planet. And Roy agrees to put up a flyer, and Max hands one out to Tyrone, who says he might go along. You won't go along, says Fizz. I might go along, <laughs> says Tyrone. I bet you a million quid you won't, says Fizz. And, dear reader, he did not. He did not. It's night time and Speed Dallas closing up. Griff and his racist gang are hanging out outside with balaclavas on. Griff is instructing them to attack the next one out. So that could have been Yasmin and that could have been Alia and it turns well, out to no, be Darian. Well, it, no, it, it, he uses female pronouns in that in that conversation. So they're, they're lying in wait for Alia. I thought it was the next one out, they said. But anyway... 
They follow him to the community garden where they beat him up and tell him to go back to Pakistan and Darian embarrassingly has to explain to them that he's from Iraq. He's punched and tripped by Spider and then he rushes home as the gang make racist noises at the back of him. That was kind of horrible to it, watch. Wasn't it, it? It, was, it was very horrible. I mean, we've only just now sort of gotten soccer hooligans to stop making that noise. Hmm. <laughs> and, and really, not really. No. <laughs> Yeah. Just sometimes when the camera's rolling, they stop. Yeah. Mm. This whole week was some very difficult language to listen to. And I think I, I mentioned this on socials. I think some people misunderstood that or misinterpreted mm-hmm. it as, I think that's bad that this... Right. That we're getting to see this. I don't think it's bad that we're getting to see it. I think right. it's, I think it's bad that it's happening. Right. And it's language that makes you feel uncomfortable. It's, right. But it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. You're not meant to sit there, listen to Griff and nod your head and go, you know, he's making a fantastic point there. Yeah. Unfortunately, it seems like... I, I think quite it's a brought few quite a few people out who do think that. Right, yeah. And and feel like, feel like a finger is pointing at them mm-hmm. for some reason. I don't know. It, it bothered me a lot, but I mean... I've seen American History X and the Underground Railroad and 12 Years a Slave. So I've seen even more horrible racist things on a screen before. Oh, and I've been in a football match. Right. <laughs> so, you know, there's... Again, this is a point from last week, though. This is this is on Corey at right. 8 o'clock at night. Right, yeah. So there's 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 a level to which you're like, this is really horrible because it's coronation street and it's eight o'clock at night but then there are there are moments where i'm like well it kind of feels like they could push they could potentially push this a little bit more into into the horribleness because the horribleness is real and there are people who walk around in the real world confronted by this every single day of their life yeah absolutely you know was, uh, like you, what you were saying last week about the video that Max has shown, which mm-hmm. indoctrinates him right. further than, you know, getting his hole did. Yeah. However, based on how it's been treated in the past with the the James getting racially profiled mm-hmm. and with Grace. Grace outside the supermarket, right. I didn't really expect it to be going as far as it has. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the depth that it's gone to into this mm-hmm. is further than I expected. And I kind of praise them for doing it. Yeah, I it's applaud just the show really, for listening. It's really, really horrible to yes. watch and listen to. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm, and I'm also appreciative that that it's just that it's not just outsiders. Right. You know, that uh, Spider is one of the gang. I mean, he's one of the gang because he's an c- undercover cop. Right. But, and, and the whole Max involvement, I think... It 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 sounds it seems like the show has really listened to people who have said, "Look, we're we're we're. It's nice that you're trying to do this. Yeah, do it properly. But, but here's here are some pointers mm. that might make this better. And it does seem to be getting under people's skin. Yeah, and that's maybe a good thing. On Wednesday at the Rose Gold Flat, Darian drops by to read his letter to the Home Office for his asylum application, and Marie and Gary are both shocked to see him bruised after the racist attack. 
and they both cry at at, at his letter. Yeah, Danny's which letter is very moving. Is very moving, and he describes the horrors that he and his brother had to endure after his dad was killed fighting ISIS. They moved through Turkey and Greece. Everyone that they met hating them. Marie and Gary find this difficult to listen to, even more so when he explains his journey to the UK to meet his uncle and the boat from France that was kind of sinking and how his brother didn't make it and how he has no idea where his uncle is and he just wants to be safe. And Gary and Maria are both moved to tears and I'm kind of getting a little bit of goosebumps mm-hmm. as I'm thinking about it. It was... There was a part of me that was looking at Gary who's murdered two people <laughs> and saying... You need a stronger ending. <laughs> Spider drops into the racist HQ. Griff is annoyed that he didn't get wired into Darien like everyone else did. Spider makes his excuses that he didn't want to waste his time on a no mark and says it has to be off in Macclesfield so he can't help Max hand out his stupid flyers for the community centre thing. Later in Nina's roles, Gary and Maria explain what happened to Darien and Toya is quick to blame Griff while Spider whistles a tune and pretends that he can't hear her. Shona is at her wit's end about Max being involved with this prick. Maria's determined to find out what she can find out about him, which I thought was quite an interesting uh, turn. Meanwhile, at Spidal, Yasmin and Alia encourage Darian to go to the police. Outside, Max is pinning a flyer to the community garden fence. Alia approaches him, explaining that Darian was beaten up by racist by his racist mates last night. Mm. And she tells him to open his fucking eyes when Max is hanging around with violent thugs. At the community centre... Griff is giving his talk It initially seems to be about the environment About making the world a better place And explaining about the danger of invasive species But Roy is there and listening very intently And quickly starts scribbling out some notes The chat slowly morphs from talking about mussels and squirrels and crayfish To people And he moans about the NHS being overwhelmed by health tourists and migrants flooding into communities and food being in short supply like the air that they breathe and he's quick to blame politicians like Maria. No one cares about the marginalised white working classes, he says. And kind of like that, it cuts to a black guy in the the audience going, what? (laughs) (laughs) You fucking kidding me? God, I love that guy. Give him, give him, give him a speaking role, please. <laughs> Extra of the year. Yes. Just a what? He he joins the Hall of Fame alongside a woman in back of bistro who can't believe what she's hearing. A shade girl. Yes. Fish guy. An old kebab man. Yes. <laughs> Maria's quick to get stuck into Griff, calling him racist. Gary drags Maria out. And also Maria, you know, asks him. How much taxes he pays? Yeah, and he's like, "Well, what about your earnings from the council?" And she says, "I don't earn anything from the council. It's right. a voluntary thing." Oh, but you get an allowance, right? An allowance for like travel mm-hmm. and things like that. Which, to be fair, does get abused by people, but that's beside the point. Yeah, I don't think the amount of allowance that Maria gets no. is anything that she could abuse. Gary drags Maria out, but then Roy stands up and tells Griff about every single thing that he got wrong in his speech, about the squirrels, the mussels, the crayfish, and how the NHS is actually held up by people from other countries. Which is very true. Griff can't handle this, and Roy makes him and the rest of the racist gang look like fools, earning a warm round of applause from the audience. Outside, Griff is approached by PC Tinker. He and the racists think that they're in bother for the talk, but in actual fact, Griff and racist Kelly's dad are lifted for assault. And Max assumes this is Alia's fault 
and rushes off to Speeddal to call her a grass, but Darian steps forward and tells Max that he was the one who called the police. Max calls him stupid, insists that Griff is innocent, and runs away. And Nina rolls the good people of Weatherfield are having a post-mortem about the meeting. Ma- uh, Maria has an idea of turning the community centre into a place where Griff wouldn't want his meetings to be held by making it a safe place for refugees to get advice about seeking asylum. And she goes off to get the ball rolling on that. Mm-hmm. Back at number eight, Max has called on racist Kelly, who thinks that he wants... <laughs> so racist <laughs> Kelly turns up and says, oh, I guess you just want your hole then. And right, yeah, about it's to like, go. all right, let's go. And he's like, uh, no, thank you. I'd like to talk about your dad and Griff. She tells him that they're good guys who wouldn't hurt a fly. So Max remembers about what Griff did to the vicious bullies. Racist Kelly thinks that that was just hijinks to scare the bullies off. And she can't have her dad going to jail. Max promises that he won't let that happen. Hmm. Later, Spider runs into a newly released Griff who got an alibi from Max. Spider hmm. seems visibly appalled by this. But Griff trusts Max more than he trusts Spider. And he says he needs to start walking the walk. Back at the flat, Toya tells Spider about Maria's idea and Spider is oddly dismissive of it, saying that Griff and his mates are going to like the refugee centre thing. Toya doesn't give a fuck and doesn't think that they should pander. She's like, yeah, that's the whole point, kind pal. Kind of the point, right? And Benji's here about fundraising ideas while Spider looks shifty. And later at number eight, Max is working on Griff's video when a furious David comes in to ban Max from seeing Griff. He's let this go long enough, but it's not on while Max is living under his roof. So Max stuffs his laptop into a bag, says, smell you later to David, and leaves. This isn't what I meant, shouts David, lightheartedly. And back at Racist HQ, everyone is celebrating Max and his alibi provision. Not only that, he's edited the video to make it look like Griff's speech at the community centre went down a storm. Right, and that Roy was the dumb one. Mm -hmm. Which takes an awful lot of editing. Right. On Friday, Spider's in the flat on the phone to his handler demanding that action be taken against Griff before he gets rumbled or someone gets killed. But the someone who's going to get killed is Spider by Nick, who's unimpressed that Spider is still living there, stealing his grapefruit segments. <laughs> Which he very carefully takes out of the fridge so that they can warm up and not hurt his teeth. Right. To which I say, Nick, make a dentist appointment. <laughs> and Get a doctor to look at that bloody eye of yours. <laughs> Seriously. Spider hooks up with Toya later and they chat about the romance from 20 years ago. Spider shares a photo that he's always taken with him when he's travels with the two of them. And this he's make- glued plywood to. <laughs> and this or ma- driftwood. This makes Toya melt so much that her plum nail gloss turns blue. She suggests that they make a start looking for a place for the two of them to live. And then roles, Brian, Roy and David are watching Max's edited video on Friends Connect, where not only has Griff been made to look like Stephen Fry, Roy has been made to look like Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well done. Thank you. I looked up Did you look up like a whole list of Stevens? I looked up famous Stevens, yeah. <laughs> and picked the funniest one. David, well done on knowing that that's what I did. <laughs> David is disgusted that these are the people Max is hanging around with. Brian and Roy insist that Max needs protecting. These people are dangerous. Yes. Toya and Leanne are chatting about uh, Toya's plans to move out because of Nick's attitude to grapefruit. And then Alia shows up. She seems to be going about showing the Darian video to everyone. And Toya is shocked to see that one of the masked assailants standing on the sidelines looks very much like her spider. Mm, and is playing with his necklace. Yeah. 
Is that necklace of the week? Necklace of the week. <laughs> it must be. Yeah, because in in addition to in addition to the edited Roy video, there's also an edited Darian assault video where the voices have been altered. Yeah. All but of this Max has had no Max has had no involvement in in altering that video, as we will find out a little bit later. Right. So who's who's the other videographer amongst this group right. when they seem so impressed with what Max is doing? I think they outsourced it to Peter, I think. <laughs> or maybe Ruby. Who knows? Yes, because if there's one thing you could say about Ruby, it's that she's racist. It's money at the end of the day to Ruby. That's all she's <laughs> interested in. <laughs> Walking around with one kidney. I'm just shocked that Friends uh, Connect is hosting all this racist nonsense. We need Elon Musk involved. No, we don't. You obviously, and you should be grateful for this, don't know enough racist people on Facebook to be if you're shocked by this. Or or on the Twitter. Oh, yeah. Sure. But something should be done about it still. Something should be done, but it's not Nothing is done in real life. No. I've I've reported plenty of neo Nazis before and said, "Oh well, they don't. It's it's fine. They're not they're not breaking any rules." It's a cartoon bear that tells you this. <laughs> but we had to take down that breastfeeding video. Cause you saw a bit of a nipple. <laughs> it's 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 goofy. Oh, is it? Yes, because the whole thing is goofy. And outside the pub, outside the pub, Griff has had enough of Spider calling him disloyal, and just as that, the police arrive to take Spider down to the station. Max and Ra- racist Kelly are hanging out at the bus shelter when David comes along, begging Max for a couple of badgers for the bus. He's going to go with them to chat with their new besties. And ah, pigs tits, says Max. So David arrives at racist HQ and he hears a lot of great things about Max, but David is more concerned about how much of a racist bunch of scumbags they all are, and he mentions the doctored video as well, which no one really seems ashamed about or anything. No, not even Max. No. It's like, how did... Because because after the thing, when the guys are complaining about Roy, Max is like, no, Roy is Roy Roy's is actually a good guy. Good guy. Yeah. I like Roy. and And yet he's... Uh, what was the argument to get him to alter the video? And then we never hear that that argument no. and why it had to be done. So Spider's at the police station being spoken to by our favourite DS Blondie. Yay, she's who, back. Who obviously isn't going to arrest him. Blondie points out that based on what they have at the moment, it's only evidence to put Griff away for a couple of years. And she's been told that no one's to arrest Griff or his gang at the moment so something must be going on right she tells him to remember why he's doing this and get the evidence that they need to get Griff bound up for good so Griff accuses David back at his racist Mm -hmm. HQ of being a sheeple who's been fooled by the whole woke snowflake mainstream media about chemtrails and stuff Griff tells him to have a pint with him before judging him but David's heard enough he calls on Max to leave but Max isn't going anywhere so David has to leave on his own. And David did a really good job standing up for himself yeah. in that situation. Uh, pointing out, you know, holding up a mirror to them. And, right, and yeah, you know, and not backing down. Your uh, your environmental video with the air quotes that seemed to piss them off. And Right. The thing about these racist people is that they really hate being told that they're racist. Right, and which is which is a thing. Yeah. Racists hate, being, hate it when they're pointed out to be racist. It's kind of weird. It's like they know that racism is bad, but they can't help themselves. Right. It's weird. 
Back at the flat, Toya is fucking furious at Spider, who's just back from the cop shop. She accuses him of being involved in the racist attack, and he fiddles with his necklace of the week when he's nervous, just like he did in that video. Despite being pretty much banged to rights here, Spider insists that it wasn't him, tells Toya that she's got it all wrong, and says that he doesn't hang around with Griff anymore. Toya isn't about to be gaslit by this shitbag and throws Spider out. She loves him, but he's not the same bloke that he was. Later, at Racist HQ, Max is mucking about on Griff's laptop and he spills a beer on it, panics, and in his efforts to clean it up, he ends up swiping onto the racist attack video. Yes. Max, who must have not put two and two together by now, is shocked, and then Griff comes in and doesn't deny it. No. He reminds Max that Darian stole his school place and the mainstream media covered it up, <laughs> along with all the other woke sheeple. He tells Max to stand up for himself. Max doesn't think Darian deserved a kicking and Griff concedes this, saying that maybe they went too far, but he reminds Max that they're the good guys, they're hard-working, they're honest folk, that up to five minutes ago Max loved, and Max falls for it. He doesn't want to have a mate like Darian, he wants to have a mate like Griff. Yes. But, but Max looks scared during all yes, this. Yes, yes. Griff is really intimidating him here. Right. Yeah. And Max is actually crying. Right. He's quite upset. Yeah. So the racists are Patty having. Patty is just so good here. He's very good. The racists are having a beer in the rove in the rovers. Spider shows up and offers to get around and asks for a quiet word with Griff. They haven't been banned yet. I don't know why are they suddenly there. They've never been there. Now right. they're suddenly there. And one of them knows about Daisy, and reckons that she's fit as fuck. Yeah. Spider explains. Good thing Daniel's not there to hear that. Yeah, he'd sort them out. Mm-hmm. As I take a drink from my. Mr. Osborne has a fanny mug. <laughs> Spider explains that he lost his bottle the other night, but Griff doesn't believe it. Along comes Toya, who is shocked to see them together. Spider tells her that Griff isn't a racist, he's a true patriot who loves his country, and the migrants are eating all the McDonald's and stuff, and being shits to the NHS, and just generally subhuman. Toya is practically sick at Spider's new attitude, and tearfully leaves. Spider telling her that it's over between them. She never really knew him at all, she says. Griff is thrilled by this, happy to trust Spider again. Meanwhile, Max and Racist Kelly have gone for malts at Al's diner. They talk <laughs> about the video of the attack, Racist Kelly saying that she had no idea that Griff and her dad were behind it, but no harm done. She abhors violence, but some people deserve a good kicking, and Max is confused why <sighs> they would film it. So this kind of seemed like we were setting Racist Kelly up for her redemption already, that she's, right. no, she's kind of unaware of anything that, that right. kind of goes on. And she has very much been groomed. Right. As, you know, to be racist as well, because as we pointed out the other week, she genuinely looks terrified when she's in Speed Doll, mm -hmm. as if she genuinely believes right. that her life is in danger. Right. And that's the sort of indoctrination that it's very, very hard to push against. Good job, though, on having the brass neck for the pair of them to go into Roy's right. for their milkshakes after right. after what Max has sat and done. Right, yeah. With, it has to be pointed out, paper straws. Yeah. Not plastic. Yeah. No, no turtles were harmed by the drinking of these milkshakes. And Max here does still seem to be... A little now leery. a bit more wary of the whole thing, right? But then, to confuse things more, he goes home where he and David have a chat David doesn't see the appeal in Griff. He's just an old bloke, after all. Max tries to explain that Griff treats him like an adult, but refuses to say any more. 
David thinks he treats Max like an adult too, just before he lays down the law and tells Max that he's banned from seeing any of that bunch, including racist Kelly, if he wants to go on living under Gail's roof. Then we see Spider thrilled to be back in Griff's good books, and they decide to be chuffed together in the alleyway of doom, Griff talking about how important Max is going to be. Spider masks his disgust at Griff, while back home, Toya cries angrily on her own in the sofa at the flat where Sam is probably wondering why, when she's going to move out and give him some fucking peace. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. I, the whole David and Max thing, it's just, it's so frustrating because he, he is still technically a minor and David does, should have some control over him. And yet he doesn't. And and all of his attempts before now have just fallen flat. So now he's in real serious danger because it's not, you know, it's not women he's harassing. <laughs> it's, you know, this dangerous gang. Right. We've, we've, all, just, we've moved on from misogyny to racism. Yes. And I just, this has been, you know, kind of a complaint that I've had with this show all along is that the parents are so incompetent when it comes to having any sort of discipline Mm. over their children. And that's why we get kids like Max and Hope because their parents don't seem to know how to handle them. And it's kind of a shame because, you know, with the nice kids, with the nice kids, the nice kids have the overbearing parents who go too far in the other direction. <laughs> right. Looking at you, Billy. <laughs> they're they're taking their time. They're being very careful with this story, and and they've done their homework this time around. This yeah, the, is not. The, was a this horrible, is not racism solved in a week no. sort of thing. And there was a horrible moment when it looked like that was going to be it. When Max found the attack video. He was going to, there was going to be a confrontation right. with Griff. He was going to realise that Griff and his mates are this horribly mm-hmm. racist bunch and that was going to be the end of the matter. Right. And as that was happening, I was kind of, please, please don't right. allow that this to be resolved as quickly and as awkwardly right. and as coincidentally or conveniently as this by right. just Max finding the video. Because Max is bound to have some idea that that yeah. they were involved in, in this. That's right. coincidentally that's in Weatherfield and it's Darien and, and right. it's outside Speed Dull. I mean, and they've already kind of done stuff to Darien and to Speed Doll. And the things that uh the things that Max is doing in an attempt to show Griff in a in a positive light. Right. You don't change a video that gives one message to to show it given a completely different message after right. the verity that without thinking there's something wrong with the first message that has required me to do this. Right, yeah. And see, that's my complaint about the fact that we don't see how, what they say to Max to convince him All they're really saying to him the is that he's good at video editing. Right. And that seems to be enough, that they appreciate his editing skills. Which, which it sh- in fairness to the person Max is, that shouldn't have been enough because he does stick up for Roy briefly there right outside you know and saying wait no Roy's a good guy and why would he why would he do something to make someone he's known his whole life who's always been kind to him look foolish 
and somebody who he knows is very intelligent. It's one thing to dismiss what your dad says mm-hmm. because your dad's David. Right. right. But to kind of just dismiss offhand what Roy is saying and what Roy is explaining quite well. Yeah. And you then know? you go you go back to the the one of the first scenes on Monday then when Max and Darren confront each other or Max confronts Darren rather. Right. Outside, and Darian's and just walking down the street. Calls him a lech and an oxygen thief. Right. So I, I guess there is a kind of confusion in Max's mind that he's a, a young man and he's, right. he's easily swayed one right. way or the other. He has what he thinks is an enemy that he can focus on, and he uses some dodgy language right. in doing that. And but you it know, just seems very contradictory to some of the other things that he says later but maybe that is maybe that's how it's meant to be that he's he's got these two sides of him these and and he's in his heart he's a good person hmm. but he's been well yeah and he's in his heart maybe he's a reasonable person but right. he's been kind of drawn out in a, in a different direction on occasion but you know and but this is something that has been part of max's personality for a while now because he took great pleasure in tormenting Daniel, let's remember. Yeah. Tormenting Daniel made him feel better about himself. With the whole upskirting thing, he was very quick to excuse it like, oh, well, I did not take the videos. You know, I just shared it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not my fault and it's not that big of a deal and had to have women explain to him why actually, yes, this is a big deal. Right. And, and, and everything when... He accidentally drugs Amy and gets to hear Amy explain how traumatic that was and how she's constantly looking over her shoulder and stuff. So a lot of people have been complaining that it seems like Max has been turned quite quickly within the storyline. But this sort of mentality has been building up in him for over a year now. Mm -hmm. This idea that there's always somebody else to blame for the problems that I have in my life. Right whether it's Daniel or women, right. <laughs> you know. And it, I, I think the one frustrating thing is that it kind of seemed like he, he was making a turn for the better when it all came crashing down again. But right. this, is, this is absolutely Max's personality. Mm-hmm. Just because we like Patty oh, yeah. and, yeah. you know, know that Patty is not a bad person does not mean that Max hasn't always been kind of a bad person well, since this his whole time swapped, right yeah right. so i wonder what's now uh going to happen for spider and toya spider really should never have got involved in toya no in the first place this is a such a conflict and right because i was thinking why, oh, is he going to finally admit that he's a copper right, why doesn't he admit it well when he, well, he can't when, when he admits it then toya has is suddenly complicit in it and right Toya has to kind of turn a blind eye to all right. this to back him up, which is a terrible position for and Toya also, being, and I don't think one that she would accept. No, so. it gives a great opportunity for for Spider to prove his loyalty to Griff, mm-hmm. who's constantly doubting him yeah. for some reason. And that's exactly how it was used on Friday. Right. Yeah. This is very deliberate to make right. to bring Toya in here in this situation so that right Griff in front can of Griff, see it, yeah. Right. But that. Even when this is all done and dusted and and Spider's involvement in it mm-hmm. is, is revealed, it's it's a very difficult place for right, yeah. Toy to go back to I, I, Yeah, it doesn't feel like 
this is something that they can ever come back from. Right. You know, and while Toya did murder Imran, I, I, do, I am sympathetic. Murder. Is he dead? No. Did she cause it? That's murder. D- no, that's not murder. Did she mean to cause it? Well, yeah, she did. She meant to kill both of them. Did, did they get into the car with the intention of killing them? No, but she sped up well, and hit a building with the intention of killing him so and herself. So that sounds like heat at the moment to me. Hmm. Hmm. Doesn't matter. It does matter. She wanted him, <laughs> Very much matter. She wanted him so dead and he's now dead. There are lots of people in jail who would insist that it matters a great deal. Anyway, um, yeah. And and again, I am. I like the fact that... Everybody on the street has kind of been touched by this storyline, that yeah. everybody's kind of been drawn in into it. I'm a little surprised, and I don't know how I feel about it yet. We haven't had an awful lot of Bailey involvement in this storyline yet. Maybe deliberate. It kind of feels deliberate, you know, and... Since Alia and Didi are besties now, I'm I'm assuming that Didi will be drawn in to this at some point. But it just it, it feels like maybe it's deliberate to give the Baileys a break and not have to be in an, yet another racism storyline. But it also their absence is kind of glaring. And and also Griff and his gang's racism seems to be pointed to different yeah. people of color. Right. Yeah, because there is that. <laughs> well, there were a couple of black people in that in that meeting. Yeah, that, and you know, very deliberately showing them these anonymous black people saying, "Wait a second, As as brilliant as that extra was, that could have very easily have been Michael sitting there and having a look on his face, like, "Wait a second, you right. know." Yeah, but anyway, I, it's the the fact that it's it's being very carefully constructed that it's involving more people on the street and they're know. dedicating like the lion's share of a week's worth of episodes mm-hmm. to it and they did last week as well and i mean we're still it, most of the white people on the street are still quite righteous and on the side of right yeah but to have max be be groomed and everything and to have spider have to pretend to be this kind of a person yeah and it still seems like this has got some ways to go because they're waiting for the big plan whatever the big plan right i assume bombing something right or murdering someone or attempting to murder someone right so i think there is still some legs left in this before we get any resolution to it and yeah and it's it's hard going and it's heavy going and it's a difficult watch and we're only going to get a couple episodes next week because of the world cup but um, Damn you but I'm God. glad that they're they're giving it the, the attention that it, it deserves, and yes. I think they're doing it in a. It's hard to call it entertainment because it, that's not the purpose of it. No, which means it's kind of the the message storyline. But mm-hmm. as far as message storylines go, I, I think it's it's been dealt with pretty well. Yes. Well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. What was your moment of the week? It's weird, I haven't really given this much thought. I think it might be Darian and his letter. It's either Darian and his letter or Roy dropping all the truth bombs on Griff to the applause of many. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, let's let's give it to Darian and his letter because that was really moving. Yeah, I had tears in my eyes. I did as well. And 
was quite moving and he did a great job. He did a wonderful job on it. Yeah. And also Maria and Gary, it's, you know, half an act and they're reacting, right? Right. So you're sitting across on that, reacting to it really right. well. And the, the And the, pretending the scales, that you care about human life. <laughs> the scales, Gary. The scales from the eyes as the realise what this young lad has been through right, at absolutely. a tender age was, was quite remarkable. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Look, Chesney just hanging around like the old man from up. <laughs> I don't think it's very kind of us to say Chesney's face is the boring moment of the week. Oh, it's his expression. Right, on his, his face. face. Right. Okay. Is it, is it, is it Griff talking about squirrels. Uh, uh, that's a confusing moment of the week. It's like, why is this? What's he got it in for squirrels for? <laughs> uh, you know, because as much as I loved Roy dropping truth bobs, it does go on quite a bit about muscles <laughs> <laughs> and and how they're they're not exactly equipped for. Just just because they're multiplied, that doesn't have anything to do with our, our water supply sort of thing. There were moments of that speech that were just like... Oh. So homeless Stew's inability to listen to Eliza. Homeless Stew talking about teddy bears? He, he did annoy me quite a bit this week. All right, there we go. That's our boring moment of the week. I'll do. Boring moment of the week. There wasn't a huge amount of boring stuff this Stew week. Stew and his teddies. There we go. Wow. Yeah. Well, 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 well. <laughs> and such and such. Etc. 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 So now if you want to get in touch with us and explain how muscles have an impact on the environment, write to the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on the Twitter while it lasts, Facebook, and we're there on Mastodon as well and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. The talk of the Street. Bye. Bye. Bye.